Well, we're here for episode two of TIFF Talks, where I'll be using my platform to share stories of growth, success, inspiration, healing, and hope from trailblazers in South Jersey. Today, we have with us Jesus Goico. We call him G. He is whew, a lot of things. First of all, he's from Bedside, Brooklyn. He's an Army combat veteran. 27 years married with kids. He's a pastor, a stroke survivor, and in my opinion, a comedian. Um, and I'm so happy to have you here, G. Um, whew, we go way back. Way back. So you, when did we meet? I, I must have been like 10 years old. About 10 years at, old. From Chestnut Assembly of God. Yes. You were one of the leaders there, and you and your wife um, helped raise me. Pretty much. Yeah, we yeah, became real good friends with, with your mom. Yeah. She was like a sister to me. Yeah, I love that. And um, so, yeah, I, where, where should we begin? Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and how, um, how it was growing up for you. Well, I grew up in um, Brooklyn, as you said in the intro, Bed-Stuy and Marcy Project Housing, same place where Jay-Z's from. Oh, wow. Uh, Did you meet him before? We... I, I knew him. Cross paths. Um, cross paths. Interestingly enough, I, uh, my brother and I used to get paid a quarter to walk his aunt's dog. Oh, yeah? Take her out and take her to the bathroom. That's a fun fact. So we knew each other, but really didn't know each other. We didn't hang out. We might have played tag. We might have played stickball, stuff <laughs> like that. But we never really was like friends, friends. Okay, okay. It was a different time. It was a time where living in Marcy Projects, you really had to... Be mindful about your friends mm -hmm. because those same friends could have been your enemies or frenemies, if you want to call it that. So we grew up, in, I grew up in Marcy Projects. And uh, again, it was a tough projects we grew up in. And I guess that's time living in the projects is what began to shape my life and lead up to the chain of events, things that occurred. Right. So living in projects from... I believe around five years old up until I was 14 years old. You had siblings? We had siblings. There was seven of us. Oh, wow. Living so in a project, three, three apartment projects on the third floor, 35 Notion Avenue, anybody that might know, this, know the address. And uh, it wasn't the best of times. It was rough. Um, How was your parents growing up? Mom and dad got divorced when I was about seven, maybe a little bit younger, maybe six. Got divorced, and this began the chain of events that would pretty much solidify who I would be and some of the things that I would eventually endure in my life and overcome. Mom and dad got divorced, and it really took a toll on mom emotionally and mentally. Yeah. Um, she began to suffer with manic depression, she was diagnosed with bipolar mm. um, disorder, and to calm her, the depression, uh, the depression she was dealing with, uh, she turned to drugs, and she became a heroin addict and a crack user wow. during those times. So it was pretty tough. It was pretty Sheesh. tough seeing a mom that was so dedicated, so loving, just begin to crumble, yeah. and then we begin to feel the effects of it. Right. And at no time did I doubt that she didn't love us. And again, anyone with an addiction, which is interesting because I work at an addiction recovery center. Oh, wow. But um, it's a disease. 
And it takes over, like yes. it takes your soul. Mm-hmm. You and it's that. something that people have a hard time overcoming yeah. and really battling. And in no time did I hate her for it, but because it left us vulnerable, because she was more into the drugs, um, I faced abuse when I was growing up um, by a family member yeah. from five to about seven years old. Wow. And my brothers and sisters really never knew this. And I think I've only told them, maybe one or two of them, this, of what happened. Wow. Because, and the reason why I never said this, because I didn't want to be like, sound like one of those celebrities out there that say, oh, uh, this happened to me when I was a kid, because you get that story. But there was a lot of things that I undertook because I was the oldest of seven to kind of shield them from the same harms that I've, that I, that, you know, was blessed that I dealt with and it was right. experienced on, that was thrown upon me. Wow. So I took the blunt of a lot of things and they never knew that. They never knew what I went through just to make sure they were safe. I had four sisters, wow. two brothers. And um, the attention was towards them and I, and I stepped in. Don't so touch them. You never really told anybody or like went to therapy growing up after that happened to you? Uh. You know what? Uh, I was about 18 years old, maybe, and I was going to a church in Brooklyn. And one day, I, one day I woke up from a sleep, real sweat, bed soaking wet. And um, I went and I spoke to my pastor at that time at the church I was attending. And I shared. I just thought it was a, a just a bad dream. And I shared with him be, what happened because it was so traumatic for me that I totally blocked it out of my mm, out of my mind and memory and as i shared this with him he began to tear and i'm like what are you crying for he was like he was like jesus that's not a dream this is something that happened to you but you suppressed it so much that you really don't remember wow and then through a couple of sessions it began to come up and resurface and then i began to get some healing from that wow you know and it and it and that part shaped me. I was angry, right? And I guess I'm mashed a lot of that anger and trying to be funny, being rebellious, doing the wrong thing. I guess you would you could you could have considered me at that time maybe the black sheep, or looking like a black sheep because I think I did things opposite from what people expected me to do, mm-hmm. and opposite of what people wanted me to be, but. I had all this inside of me, and I didn't know why I had this anger or why I had certain insecurities or why I felt afraid and didn't want to come out. Right. And this is how I masked it. I just put on a mask. Wow. Nobody knew about this. So how was your young adult life, or what led you to the Army? Well, led me to the Army. I always wanted to go to the Army. When I, went to, when I graduated from high school, or finish high school, rather. I took the test, failed. And I thought, well, maybe that's not my chance. So my sister came to live with us when I was living in Newfield, New Jersey. She came to live with me for a while because her life was upside down and she wanted to do something with her life. Mm -hmm. So she decided that she wanted to go to the military. And I was like, fine, I'll go with you to the um, recruiter station. I went with her. She didn't want to take the test by herself. So I took the test with her at the MEP station. And 
I wound up passing and everybody else failed. Oh, wow. Check that out. So the recruiter asked me, what do you want to do? And at that time, I was like, you know what? I really want to do the Army, but I'm married. I have two daughters. My youngest daughter had a condition called hydrocephalus, where she had brain surgery. And at that time, I was working for Progresso um, Foods, or General Mills Company. Mm-hmm. And the benefits was good. They paid for the first surgery. But I wasn't sure if the benefits would pay for the second surgery. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, if I go into the military, everything is covered. It's free. Yeah. I got nothing to worry about. So that was one of the things that led me down the path of becoming a soldier in the United States Army. How old were you then? I was 27, Tiff. Oh, wow. 27. I mean, a lot older than what most people would be when they went into the service. I think I was the oldest one oh, wow. in my um, company. Takes a lot of courage. Oh, it did. And uh, thank you for your service. My dad's in the army. Well, was in the army. My brother. You know, I have so much respect for you guys. Loved it. Some of the best time of my life. Oh wow, the camaraderie, right? Nothing yeah. like it. Yeah. I um obviously never joined the military, but I did join a sorority, so mm-hmm. I got that feeling of you know we went through the trenches together. Mm-hmm. You know, but um and you served uh, in Iraq too, right? Yes, yeah. served there for a year. How was that? It was interesting. It was, I loved it. Really? You know, some people might look at me like I'm crazy, <sighs> might see this and say, what are you talking about? Uh, when we were inside our camps in our little safe haven, it was fun. It was like just being back home um, outside of the battles that we were in. But in the battles we were in, uh, there were many ambushes that I was caught in, uh, a lot of ID explosions. Wow. And sabotages and stuff that I was in, involved in, but walked away unscathed, unhurt, uninjured. Were you scared? Or were you, like, numb to it? No, I was excited. Because ah. my adrenaline was rushing. Right. So I think I was more excited to... See that action. Yeah, to see the action, you know. It was not until after we went back to camp and we settled in and we just unwind that when I lay down in my cot, or in my bed, rather, that an adrenaline rush kind of wore off, it felt like I got lost in my bed. And it was like, I can't believe that I'm alive. We just got ambushed. Or wow. a quick story, um, I was driving a truck. In the truck, we're going down the road in a convoy exercise. So they pulled us over and they asked us to stop. And... In the area where we were at, I'm like, well, why, why, why are you stopping us? You know, this is a hostile area. Mm-hmm. But they wanted us to stop because the truck I was driving, there was an explosion that occurred. So they wanted to make sure that we was okay. Mm-hmm. Thank God we were. Uh, so the commander comes out and said, hey, did you experience that? Did you see that? And he was like, what, your truck blew up? And I looked at my truck and I was like, what are you talking about? He said, your truck blew up. And um, something happened to the truck. I, I'm pretty sure that it was either an ID or one of the locals got on to the camp because some of the Iraqi um, local nationals mm-hmm. would work because not all were bad. Right. Some of, of us, some of us was for us, but and understood that we were there to free them because mm-hmm. the operation was called Operation Iraqi Freedom, and then eventually they changed the name to Enduring Freedom. But you had insurgents that would come in posing as one of the 
coworkers. Yeah, like they were for us. So either somebody sabotaged the truck or it was a roadside bomb that I drove over and I was driving a 915th, which is pretty much a freight line, 18 wheeler that had 5,000 gallons of fuel in it. When I went over the ID or if whether they sabotage it or ID. Oh my gosh, and it didn't blow up? Didn't blow up. That's insane. So when they asked us to get out the truck, I looked and I was like, nothing's wrong with the truck. And they was like, we don't get it. We don't understand <laughs> it. <laughs> and I was like, well, I know who I God you know, has a plan yeah, for you. Yeah, I'm a faith person. And I was like, well, I know who I serve. It wasn't your time. Yeah, and the interesting thing was um, one of my favorite verses, different chapters in the Bible at that time is Psalms 91. If you grew up as a Christian or a believer, I think everybody had a Bible opened up in their home to maybe that verse, Psalms 91, and it talks about safety and, um, and a blessing during a hard, during, you know, troubled times, uh, persecution. It's pretty much of a blessing. Mm. And I used to it's tag like up. That carried you through. Yeah. And I used to tag up all the vehicles in Psalms 91. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not the whole chapter. I just used to write Psalms 91. Nice. And that's what kept me safe. Wow. I believed and I lived that scripture and that whole chapter out and believed that a thousand, uh, you know, a, thousand, a hundred is going to fall on one side and a thousand is going to fall on the other side. And that's what carried me through. Wow. And it was a testimony to them where my faith was because they've seen miracles. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we can be here for hours. There's mm-hmm. stories that I can talk about where if someone didn't believe in a higher power or someone didn't believe that there was a God just because, excuse me, just being around me and some of the things that they experienced, it made, made them, them a believer. That's yeah. amazing. And every time we went out on any type of mission, mm-hmm. the first question they would ask is, hey, is Goiko going out with us? Oh, then we safe. Yeah. And there was times that I did <laughs> two or three tours so mm-hmm. our tour was four hours on eight hours off because it was so hot in the desert and i would do a couple of tours because some of the guys felt safe because i was there wow that's powerful and when did you become a christian when did you get such strong faith after such a hard you know childhood <laughs> uh i well i wouldn't say i was a christian christian because you know people go to church every day and I don't think they really was dead. Yeah, and they're not really dedicated. Let me leave this bottle alone. Mm-hmm. They're not really dedicated. I guess they go through the motion, mm-hmm. which is understandable because people are still trying to f- f- find themselves mm-hmm. as far as in this walk. But when you make that decision and you begin to live it out, and it shows, and I think that's when you can really say that I'm a follower. Mm-hmm. So in my twenties. Well, I was always in church, grew up in church, mm-hmm. in and out, you know, but it was because of circumstances shifting from mom to dad and back to mom and dad. And um, when I lived with dad, that's when I really was immersed into Christianity. But it wasn't until I met my wife when I was 20, I'm going to say 20, I believe it was 20, where on my birthday, September 24th, when I actually said, you know what, I'm going to do this thing for real. So about 27 years now. Wow. Really living this thing out. Nice. Yeah. So 
after the army, you became a pastor. Became a what, pastor. What led you there? How was that journey? Well, I came out, um, ETS, and um, got an honorable discharge, three of them, um, because you re-enlist. So I got three of them, and then when you come out, you're on inactive, ready, reserve. And uh, I couldn't find a job at the time, but I wasn't too worried about it. Uh, I went on a missions trip to Mexico with Chestnut Assembly. Did we go together? We went together. 2016? Uh, 2007, no. I think. 2000, oh, 16, that's way later. Yeah, with Isaiah, Cotto, yeah. and Pastor Ralph. Armor shirts. That was my first mission trip, yeah. my only mission trip. That was so nice. Yeah, we went together, armor shirts, remember? Yeah. <laughs> so wow. It was on that trip that I went, and, uh, excuse me, um, I wouldn't say that's when I felt that I was going to be a pastor because I didn't want to be a pastor. And the reason why I didn't want to become a pastor was because dad was, he wasn't a pastor, but he was one of the ministers in the church. Mm-hmm. And I saw how dad would give his all. Dad? My dad. father. Oh, yeah? That he would give his all and serve and serve. And to me growing up, I felt like people really didn't appreciate him, appreciate the things he did. And my dad was so humble. And it, it didn't bother him. It, it was not a concern that people appreciated or not. He said, you know, my reward is in heaven. But to me, from the outside looking in, I would always say to dad, I'll never become a pastor. People don't appreciate you. You do this, you do that. You give an arm and a leg, and it's like nothing. Wow. I go to I go on a Mexico trip, and um, I'm in the group with the current pastor right now, Chestnut Assembly, Pastor Tony. I'm in this group. Uh, he was supposed to go preach mm-hmm. at one of the churches. He didn't want to preach. He was too too nervous to preach. So he asked me if I would preach because he heard that I used to preach. And I told him, I said, bro, that was before I went to the Army. I said, Dad, you're talking about eight years ago. I haven't st- stood on a platform, haven't preached a sermon. But um, nevertheless, I did it anyway. And that's when God began to open up the doors and that hunger for me to minister again and just share his word begin to bubble up inside i come back from that i took a test to um for law enforcement all of them mm-hmm. for state troopers county uh sheriffs and violent pd passed them all and then with the veteran preference status you get that extra five ten points mm-hmm. never heard back from them so i get involved in the ministry team master's commission Yep. I get involved in Master's Commission. I get on a team. I do the whole nine-month program with them. I graduate. And it's during this time in Master's Commission, we would take our trips back and forth to area churches or outside of the state. Mm-hmm. And went to the Bronx, and I ministered at three churches that we were invited to. And it was at one of the churches that eventually I wound up being becoming their youth pastor for 12 years that wow. they were looking for a youth pa- excuse me a youth pastor and the uh, the pastor had his eyes on me because he said as soon as I walked in all the youth just gravitated to me i think they gravitated to me because number one i'm i was you're hilarious and your energy is big and infectious everybody loves G. and then the thing is i went in and i was like one of them and, uh, mm-hmm. and what i mean by that is I understood them. Mm-hmm. I knew where they were coming from because I grew up in New York. I grew up in the hood. 
and a lot of them was facing a lot of hardships yeah. and dealing with some stuff. And probably didn't know how to talk about it. And I came in and I was able to relate with them. And I think that's what drew them to me because they was like, he's like one of us. Mm-hmm. And um, we leave. So when we leave on the way home, the director, his name is Tim DeZinzio, he said, hey, they want you to become their youth pastor. You should put your application in. And I looked at him and said, I'm not doing nothing. I told you I don't want to be a pastor. Because I was still bitter from that experience that dad went through. I'll preach. I'll preach. I'll do anything else but a pastor. And um, upon graduation, I still haven't submitted my resume. And then um, the director tells me again, hey, they're waiting for you to put your uh, resume in. I didn't hear back from the um, exam that I took with with law enforcement. So uh, I said, you know what? I said, just to get them off my back, I put my resume in. <laughs> went in, they called me for interview. I went. Uh, they called me back that Monday, and they said, hey, we want to know if you want to be a youth pastor. And all this was based upon a prayer that I did in the desert. Because when I was in the desert in, in, the, in Iraq, I got so tired of the battle. It came a, a time and a point where I got so tired and I really didn't want to be there anymore. And in a battle, in a gunfight, uh, I just got down on my hands and knees. And you're not supposed to abandon your post, but I did. And I told, I just cried out and I said, God, I don't want to be here no more. I'm tired of, of this God forsaken place. If you take me out of here, I'll do anything you want me to do. <laughs> and I forgot about that prayer. He said, oh yeah? <laughs> I forgot about that prayer. So when I came back and I graduated from Master's Commission, Pastor Ralph called me into the office. And he was like, hey, you know the Galenas? And I was like, yes. He said, well, there's a sister church that they're pastoring in May's Landing. Mm. And I was like, okay. He was like, they need a youth pastor. What you want to do? He said, I heard some great things about you. Mm-hmm. And I want to know if, you go, if, if you're willing to go help them with their youth. They got youth, but they don't have no youth ministry mm-hmm. and help develop something. And at this point, sitting in his office, I was ready to say, no, I'm not, doing, I'm not being a pastor. But I heard a, a clear voice. I'm not going to say audible, but I heard it within me. Within your heart, yeah. Right? Tapping on my shoulder saying, what are you going to do now? Or are you going to run like you did last? Oh, and that was the other reason why I went into the Army. I knew he was calling me to ministry, mm. and I didn't want to do it, so I went to the army. Mm. So I heard that voice that said, what are you going to do now? Are you going to run again like the first time, or are you going to honor your prayer that you said in the desert? Mm, wow. And what I didn't tell you was after I said that prayer in the desert, I get a Red Cross message that just said that, you know, my youngest daughter, that she had a brain tumor. She was maybe four or five. And she might not make it. She was going to get surgery. Wow. So they sent the Red Cross message. They pulled me out of Iraq. Two days later, I was back in Jersey. Wow. Yeah. And then, I, so I did that stint with them. A little, I was part-time there. I did that for about a year and a half. And then that's when that position that I'd applied for in the Bronx opened up after I submitted my resume. And... I remember what he said. What are you going to do now? And I said, you know what? I made a promise. I'm going to stick to it. If I give you my word, I'm going to keep it. And right after 
I'd said yes. Um, this was on a weekend, so on, a, on no, excuse me, on a Monday, I get this call and I and I said, okay, I'll I'll accept the position. I'll be your youth pastor. I believe it was Wednesday morning. I'm walking to the to the mailbox. Open up the mailbox. And guess what's in the mailbox? My date for the academy. Oh wow! To report to the academy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking at this and I'm like, Are you You're kidding like, me? Oh man! I was like, Why? What are you gonna do now? Yeah, what are you gonna do now? And I'm like, Are you? I looked up and I was like, Are you kidding me? Why this couldn't have come two days earlier? Right. You know? Why? Again, a test. I heard a voice in my spirit again saying. I did this because I wanted you to know that you didn't have to settle. Mm -hmm. You could have made any decision you wanted, but mm -hmm. I wanted to see if he was going to honor your word this time. And I, and I showed it to my wife. She was like, what you going to do? I said, the money's good. We can use the money. Cause we was, we was in a financial bind at the time, but I said yes to God. So I'm going to just trust him. Wow. And that led us on a path down to the Bronx there 12 years, started as a youth pastor. Then eventually, after seven years being there, we became the campus pastors at a sister church that we was helping out. And then from there, we eventually wound up becoming the lead pastors there. Wow. So a whole 13 year. And let me tell you how God is. In the Assemblies of God, you can't pastor a church if you don't have credentials. You can be a youth pastor. Mm-hmm you know, without credentials, but you can't pass the A church without credentials. But I did. Oh, He opened up that door. Wow. He allowed me to pass a church without credentials. I was pastor in the church without credentials, and it's during that time where I was pastor in the church that eventually got, gained my credentials. Mm -hmm. So there were certain things that, certain that doors. Lined that he, you up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He opened up certain <laughs> doors. That's amazing. And, uh, and um. The journey's been a good one. It's been a good one. And then you came back to Jersey, and you were living in a not-so-favorable apartment for a couple years, yep. and then you hit me up, yep. and we got you a house, <laughs> and that was a beautiful story on its own. We, we won't like, have to get into that, but... I was like, Tiff, we got to do something. G came to, to, <laughs> to call me. She, he came to my office. Uh, we got you approved that day. We went out the next day to go see houses, put an offering, got accepted, and we closed like 28 days later. Yeah. And that was it. That and was you got it. a beautiful house now. I'm so happy for you guys. And now uh, your wife has a nice area where she can bake her amazing goods, which I love so much. Yeah, shameless plugs. Eight amazing yes. delights. <laughs> yeah, so good. So good. But, um, and then tell us about how you experienced a stroke so young. And I feel like no matter what happens to you, you still have this attitude of you're happy and you're yeah. grateful and you, your faith never falls for God. And you just keep on persevering. And I love that. Well, one thing uh, that I've learned throughout my life, and I've been through a lot of ups and downs, more downs than ups. But at this point in my life, I'm seeing a lot of ups. And I, and I thank him for it. But during all those experiences, I've learned that uh, you can't control what's not controllable. Mm -hmm. You know, things are going to happen. Right. And it makes no sense for you to be upset and be bitter about the things, that the events that you can't control. Right. So I had the stroke, and that's the, one of the reasons why we're back here in Violent, um, because the stroke 
pulled me away from the church that we were pastoring. Mm. So, so that we, happened, what, 2019? 2019, St. Patrick's Day. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, and I had the stroke. So young, too. What, you're like 43? I was 47. 47? I believe. I'm 50 now, so I was 47. And uh, I, was at the, I was in the best shape of my life. I was training in the gym every day, you know, almost six days a week sometimes. Mm-hmm. And we went to Miami, come back from Miami. I didn't know. I didn't notice anything. I just felt tired, unusually tired. But I'm not a bad flyer, mm-hmm. so I thought it was just jet lag. And uh, that was a Saturday. We came back Sunday, went to church, preached the message, the whole thing. Went home, took a nap, got up, couldn't walk. Wow. Had a massive stroke. I get to the hospital. Um. The doctors and the nurses all come in, and they was like, how are you doing? And I'm so, I said, I'm fine. They started asking me questions because they really wanted to check my memory, how I was doing. Mm-hmm. And um, I got to the point, and I was like, well, how do you keep asking me things about this? Oh, this is this is um, uh, common yeah. when you have a stroke, to, a stroke to find out where your memory is at. You, right? I said, yes, but this is overly excessive. And uh, that's when they t- begin to tell me, they said, well, the reason why we're asking you is because half of your right side of your brain is gone. Pretty much most of it is gone. But your stroke happened in your memory area. Mm. And we're just finding it odd that you still <laughs> remember certain things. Wow. When it happened in your dominant side of your memory, because the brain has two sides right. that contains the memory, but one side is always dominant. Mine's happened to be the right side. And they was just puzzled. And uh, so they asked me a lot of questions. But during that whole uh, ordeal, I guess you call it, they said I would never walk again. It's going to take a long time before, before I can even talk again uh, or even move. Wow. But let me tell you something. And now look at you. I'm, I was so determined and so focused because they said, I'm not going to do this. And I'm like, you don't even know who you're talking to. I've heard <laughs> that my whole know. life. Right. Yes. <laughs> I've heard that my whole life, and I've overcome adversity throughout my whole life. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to let this keep me down. They walked into the room the next day, and I was working out. Oh, Couldn't wow. move. But <laughs> well, the, part that I was, the part that I was <laughs> the part that was working, I was working out. They gave me these bands, resistance bands, and I tied them up to the, uh, the rails. Okay. And I was working out. Wow. And, and they found me planking on my bed. <laughs> and they was like, bro, what are you doing? You can't be doing this. You <laughs> just had funny. a stroke. I was like, do you know who you're, you're talking relentless. to? Right. I said, my name is Jesus. No pun intended, but I said, my name is Jesus. <laughs> I was like, I didn't get this name for a reason. Right. I said, I got this name because it was intentional. And I was like, so you don't know who I am. And I, was, and I told them, secondly, you can't tell me that I can't do nothing. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to prove you wrong. That's why I got into a lot of trouble when I was a kid. Because I'm going to do what you tell me not to do, that I can't do. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that, again, the things that happen in my life is what... Give you thick skin, grit, yeah. relentlessness. It made me. Yeah. Not to, not to quit. Never give up. Yeah. When, it, when, it, um, when the odds are against yeah. you. And I just pushed through. And they said, oh, you're going to be in the hospital for about six months to a year because you're in bad shape. I walked out of that 
um, rehab center a month and a week later. Wow. Wowing the whole rehab place. Because it was like there's people that came in here with a stroke, less than yours, less conditioned, and they still here. But you had a massive stroke. Matter of fact, you had a 24-hour stroke. Wow. You were in bad shape. And you're walking out of here. You look better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't even, if you, if you hadn't told us, we would have never guessed you had a stroke. Wow. You know? Check that out. So you've been beating the odds since you were born, pretty much. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you could have been a statistic. You were abused at a young age. Yeah. Your mom was on drugs. Your parents were divorced. And, and then you even joined the army late, and you ran over a bomb. And it's just like you have nine lives. And you never a, give up. I can write a story, a movie. <laughs> and, and what I love most about you, G, is if you look at you or if someone were to meet you, they would never guess all that you've been through. You have such a positive light about you and your energy's always high and you're always wanting to help and make people laugh. And that's really why I wanted you on the show because I just want to, you know, normalize and, and put a face to everyday heroes like yourself. And also being a soldier makes you a hero. And you're just a hero for so many people, for being a pastor, for being a dad, for being a great husband. And so I just wanted to thank you. And um, thank you for sharing so much intimate information about your life. I really hope that, you know, our listeners or our audience can relate to your story and um, tell them where can we find you and what can we expect from you in the future? I know you're also a content creator and you make a lot of videos. So where can where can we follow you? Well, you can find me on TikTok, um, Instagram, Facebook, and it's pretty much all the same. Natsarim, N-A-T-S. Yeah. What is the story about Natsarim? Well, that's Hebrew for branches. branches. And that's taken out of the scripture where um, John and Jesus is having an interaction. And he tells his disciples, I am the vine and you are the branches. So branches in Hebrew is called Nazarim, but also watchmen mm. is Nazarim. So I just kind of gravitated to that. So I kind of call myself on some of the platforms the Nazarim. And how do you spell it? N-A-T-S-A-R-I-M, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> Not we'll, we'll put it in the caption. Yes. And um, so on Facebook, it's just my name, Jesus Goiko. But then I have a, a media page where it's a separate page. It's a Natsurim. On TikTok, the Natsurim. And the, what's the other one? Instagram, Instagram same I thing. Am I am Natsurim. Awesome. And um, I create and I got a podcast called Not to Rim. Nice. Uh, so uh, can you repeat the question again? <laughs> oh no, that was it. Just where we can follow you, oh, and okay. so I'll make sure that we we tag your uh, your social medias. And you have a podcast now. Podcast. And your podcast, what what would you say that's about? Like my podcast is pretty much basically speaking on truth because although I'm a person that grew up in a faith based organization. If I can speak freely and honestly, I pretty much got tired of institutionalized and organized religion. Mm. And my whole thing. That's an episode in its own. Yeah. And my whole podcast that I'm really trying to work on is just really bringing truth and sharing truth on what he really came to do and what his message was really about. Mm. It wasn't about. Christ consciousness. Yes. And it wasn't really about organized or institutionalized religion, which 
starting to look more corporate to me than what it mm. really was, what it really was supposed to be meant to be. So That's it's deep. it's controversial. I like that because my opening is my opening is you're listening to the Nata Rim where I speak truth and nothing but the truth. But the question is, can you handle the truth? Because mm. I'm gonna challenge your theology. I like that. You know, there might be things that you might not agree with, but because of searching and just studying and really seeking out truth and information, there's a lot of stuff that I've uncovered or become a revelation to me that I'm like, hmm, you know, there's a lot of things Mm. that we're doing that we're not supposed to be doing. Right. So it's real controversial. That's deep. Thank you so much, G. It was a pleasure having you on today's TIFF Talk. And guys, tune in for the next episode. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.